Good morning. Uh, Today we're reading Psalm 8 and that uh, you can find on page 386 of the Church Bibles. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swam the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Asking big questions can be really hard going. And I don't just mean questions like, what happened yesterday, though I'm sure there'll be quite a few people asking that question and it will be really hard going, especially those who travelled over to Melbourne from here. I mean asking the really big questions, the bigger kind of questions in life, those kind of questions can be really hard going. It takes a a certain kind of courage to step back from what you believe and, and to ask yourself, why do I really believe this? And then to follow what you believe about life right through all the way down to its logical end, that can actually be quite an unsettling experience. An example of a, of a bigger kind of question in life is this one. What is a human? To start with, it, it sounds like a stupid question. It sounds like it should be easy to answer. But if you push beyond the superficial to really follow the answer through to its logical end, it's actually hard to answer and it can be quite an unsettling experience. Let me give you an example from history of someone who tried to answer this. Plato was a Greek philosopher who lived in the 4th century BC and when he tried to answer what is a human, he discovered how hard it can, how hard it can be. Plato said, man is a featherless biped got a picture of him up here. That's his definition. Man is a featherless biped. Featherless because we don't have feathers, and I, I'm, I'm guessing, and biped because we only have two legs. How's that for an answer? You know, it, its brilliance is in its, its brevity and its simplicity, and, and surely no one can argue with that. Well, there was a guy called Diogenes who didn't think it was so brilliant. Diogenes was kind of like Plato's philosophy rival and he didn't like Plato or his definition. So he plucks a chicken, walks into a lecture hall filled with people, chucks the chicken to Plato and says, here's Plato's man. It turns out philosophy nerds can be quite mean to each other. He must have been killing himself laughing for a week. As Plato discovered, asking, answering the bigger questions, asking and answering the and answering the bigger questions in life can be really hard going and so we could be tempted to not even bother asking these kind of questions 
or thinking about their answers. And actually, that's what many of us do. We, we never really think about it. Sometimes Christians are said to be unthinking. We're sometimes painted as being um, a bit simple-minded to believe in God. So we're told that science holds all the answers that we need and we're told Christian beliefs are unscientific and outdated and, and just unthinking. I mean, think about the amazing things that humans have achieved through science. In 1969, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. All of us know the famous words he said, and, and probably some of you can actually remember them being said. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Humanity has made amazing leaps through science. And so surely all we need to answer this kind of question, what is a human, is science. But actually, science doesn't go deep enough. A Christian's not unscientific. A Christian's not against scientific thought at all. But a Christian doesn't stop there. We think we need to go deeper and push beyond the answer that science can give us. Diogenes was, was right to criticise Plato's definition. He could have done it in a nicer way, but he was right to point out that Plato had some deeper thinking to do. And just like a, a barbecue chook can't adequately capture what a human is, so describing us scientifically by our molecules or our organs or our nerve impulses or our communities or all of those things and more, they just don't go anywhere near deep enough to answer what is a human. It's a deeper question than it might first seem. It's an unsettling question, but like other big questions, it's one that Christians are prepared to think deeply about. And it's exactly what David asks in this psalm. In Psalm 8, we don't get a, a, a philosophical definition or an exact scientific kind of definition. We get a deeper insight into what it means to be human. And what we see first in Psalm 8 is that humanity on its own is nothing. Look with me again in verse 3. David writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? When David considers, not just observes, or even studies, but when he goes deeper and really considers our place under the stars, he thinks, what is mankind that God should consider us? And the answer that's clearly implied is nothing. The other night I was hanging out washing in the dark and I looked up at the night sky and I've got to say, it was not that impressive. <laughs> I think I could have counted all the stars in under a minute and about half of them were flashing and heading towards Glenelg. <laughs> but when I go camping in places like Innes National Park down the bottom of York Peninsula, one of my favourite things to do is just sit back at night with a drink in my hand and look at the stars and marvel. Marvel at just how huge this universe is and just how small I am. That's the feeling that, that David is expressing here. You can imagine him being un, unable to sleep one night and so he wan, wanders out of his palace thinking about his many problems as king. And as he steps out into his courtyard 
while the rest of Jerusalem lies there dark and sleeping. He looks up and he sees the Milky Way sparkling with millions and millions of stars and suddenly he realises just how small he really is. Maybe it was a time like that that inspired him to write this psalm. Or maybe he wrote it earlier in life, back when he was just a shepherd boy. Maybe it was on a clear night around a low fire as he looked after his father's sheep out in the field and as he lay staring up at the sky, he was struck by just how significant, insignificant all of us are compared to the God who made all of this. And of course, we get a, 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 different, a, a different kind of insight even than David on this universe. We know in some ways even more about it. We know that our massive sun is just one of trillions and trillions of suns spread over trillions and trillions of light years. The closest star to us is Alpha Centauri and it's about four light years away, which is 40 trillion kilometres. It would take the fastest spaceship that humans have ever built 50,000 years to get there. 50,000 years and that's our closest neighbour. What is humanity in the face of such unbelievable vastness? Well, the answer can only be nothing. We may have walked on the moon, but still we're just a tiny dot on a planet that's a tiny dot, in a solar system that's a tiny dot, in a vast universe. Ask the deeper question and follow it to the end if you've got the courage. And this is the only conclusion that you can come up with. Except for what David goes on to say. David, as he considers the stars, he doesn't so much marvel at our insignificance, but that we're treated as significant. He says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In and of ourselves, we're insignificant in this vast universe, but the God who flung the stars into space, who is himself so much more vast than this universe that he's created, for some reason he cares about us. This is a, a, a really profound insight into what it means to be human. But of course, it, it depends on two things to be true. First, that there really is a God. And second, that he really is interested in us. I remember when I was in high school studying science and, and learning about evolution and questioning a lot of things at the time. I remember at that point in high school, I began to think, maybe there really isn't a God. At the time, it felt like life would just be a lot easier if that was the case, if, if you didn't have to worry about there being a God. And there have been a couple of other moments in my life since then like that too. But one of the reasons that I've, I've never been able to stay in that mind frame, even if I've wanted to, is because of the same thing that David sees in verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. It's clear to David that this world is the work of God. God's made his name known and his majesty is seen everywhere in the world and his glory is seen above us. Now, it might sound strange, but I find I just don't have the faith to close my eyes to seeing the majesty of God that's clearly on display everywhere. 
I just don't have the faith to believe that this world could happen by random chance, by blind forces. It's just so infinitely unlikely that a world like ours could exist without God that I can't find the faith to believe it, even when at times I've wanted to. And an explanation of the origins of the universe and and the origins of humanity, whether astronomical or biological, as amazing and complex and and true as as, as some of those explanations might be, they just don't go deep enough. They're still just too superficial. They don't answer the bigger questions because they can't. Because they might be able to say something about how we came about, but they have nothing to say about why. If we stop at a definition of what a human is that removes God from the picture, we won't go deep enough. We'll just have a really shallow definition. Like the, uh, the band Bloodhound and Gang in um, an old song now, in Bad Touch, they sing... You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now, there's a far more sophisticated version of that, actually, of that understanding of what it means to be human, but it basically lands in exactly the same place, and in the end, it's just as superficial. And if you follow these kind of superficial definitions through to their logical ends, it takes you to some pretty unsettling places. Humans are no different to animals, no more valuable, no more significant, And then if you keep going deeper and deeper to what that means, we're just the products of random chance with no real meaning or purpose or destiny or dignity. Follow that logic through to the end and it's unlivable. And we know even just from common sense, it's untrue. David knows that God exists, not just from looking at the world around him, even though that would be more than enough, But David knows because God has revealed himself to him. There are many, many good reasons to believe that God exists. There are are many good reasons why we should join David in praising God's name. But this psalm tells us God doesn't need our praise. It's not the scientists or, or the physicists who come up with a theory that there must be a God who declare his praise. It's not the philosopher who postulates that there's got to be a God. It's not the fully grown, powerful human. King David realises that it's not even the king who declares God's praise. Look at verse 2 again with me. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God is praised from the mouths of those who can't even utter words properly. God's happy for his majesty to be declared by those who can't even comprehend the vastness of the universe or appreciate its beauty. God's so great that even a tiny, helpless, crying baby declares how awesome he is. The strongest and the the smartest of humanity might miss it, but it's not the strongest of humanity that God's majesty is most loudly shouted out from. His praises are sung in the smallest in the weakest. Consider Asher, who, um, who we baptised today. He's so helpless, and yet there's no doubt he's so valuable, and he so powerfully declares God's majesty. Someone once told me about a friend of theirs who one day was, was giving his, his little son breakfast, and he noticed just how intricate his little tiny ear was. 
And as he studied his son's ear, he thought, surely there must be a God. And it set him on a path where eventually he met that God. God's incredibly kind to us. And he often uses times like having a child to cause us to ask the bigger questions. What is this person I'm holding? What is this thing so weak, so vulnerable, so helpless, and yet clearly so precious and so valuable? How can both of these things be true? Surely this child is is not just precious just because I think so as a parent. Surely they're not precious just because evolution has blindly brought about a brain bigger than any other animal. Surely they're not precious just because society tells me so. If I push beyond the superficial, this child is precious for a far deeper reason. And in that moment, God can open our eyes to see that nothing can explain this truth except for Him. All humans are weak and vulnerable, and yet all are incredibly valuable and precious because He really does consider us to be that way. And this brings us to our next point. God cares for humanity and crowns us with honour. Look at verse 4 again with me. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? And then we see, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Humanity on its own is nothing but God, whose glory is written in the stars, has chosen to crown us with glory and honour. We read in verse 5 that he's made us just a little lower than the angels. The word in Hebrew is actually God. God's made us a little lower than himself in this world. What David's saying is that God makes humans in his image to be second in command on this earth. We're made to rule under God. Humans have got a privileged place. And we see this. The way that we rule this world is remarkable. The way that we take this world's resources and and harness the forces of this world is amazing. No animal even comes close. We've even walked on the moon. Last week I talked about Cassini, the, the probe that we've sent to Saturn. You know, how amazing is it that humans could send a probe 3.4 billion kilometers out into the darkness to shed light on a planet that no human has even got close to. Humans are truly marvelous, but none of this comes from ourselves. It comes from God crowning us with glory and honor. And so for our question, what is a human? God says to us in this psalm, a human is nothing compared to him but a human is privileged because of him let me tease out just a couple of things of what this understanding of humanity means practically for us so first we are nothing compared to god we are mere creatures so what does this mean practically i was talking to a couple of guys the other day who are who are both nurses and they were talking about specialists, especially um, specialists in private hospitals, who can carry on like they're God. One of these guys, one of the nurses, had been yelled at by one of these doctors for something that was completely not his fault and something he had no control over. 
And he took the doctor quietly aside and he calmly said to him, please don't yell at me like that. But this doctor didn't take that very well. The doctor spoke to his supervisor and his supervisor said to the nurse, you shouldn't have done that. The message was basically the private hospital needed this doctor, so if he wants to act like God, let him. It made me think of another doctor, as this guy was telling me this story, another doctor that I know, who's an orthodontist, who's completely different. Not because he's an orthodontist, that's not why he's different. (laughs) He's different because he knows that compared to God, he's nothing, this guy. He knows he's just a mere creature. And so he treats all of his colleagues with respect. And one of them, his dental assistant, was so struck by the difference that he saw in him that he asked him if he could go along with him to his church. Now, of course, not all doctors think they're God and not all Christians get this right either, but we should. We've got no excuse for getting it wrong. We've got no reason at all for being full of ourselves. Our deeper reflection on what it means to be human tells us that it doesn't matter how important we are at work or in our community or on the sports field, it doesn't matter how rich we are, those things actually don't mean a thing. In the big scheme of things, we're not big. We're not God. We have got very, very good reasons not to think too highly of ourselves. What is humanity? We are nothing compared to God. We are mere creatures. But second, we've seen we are incredibly privileged. So what does this mean practically? So often in in life, we try to crown ourselves with honour and glory when God has already done this for us. So often we're trying to prove to ourselves and to others that we're valuable. Have you ever noticed that? We're a valuable worker. We're a valuable mother or father, we're we're a valuable person. But one of the beautiful things about a deeper understanding of what it means to be human is that we know that God has already crowned us with value. You are worthwhile, whether you're married or not, whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you've got a job or not, whether you have kids or not, whether you're rich or poor, you're worthwhile because God has crowned you with glory and honour. Do you see how this has the potential to change so much? You don't have to prove your worth to yourself or anyone. You don't have to earn your significance. Humans are important already and only because God makes us that way. This also has a lot to say about how we treat each other, of course. All people are crowned with glory and honour by God. And so Christians have a very solid basis for honouring all people, regardless of their religion or their beliefs or their sexuality or their race, we honour them as valuable to God. Without God, it's quite hard actually to come up with a solid basis for why we should value people like this. Now, thankfully, many people still do, but if you really push deeper, below the superficial answer, without God, why should we honour people? Why? A Christian doesn't struggle to answer that. We might struggle to live up to what we believe, but we don't struggle to explain why we should live up to it. It's very straightforward why all lives matter. 
We're all made in the image of God. We're all made a little lower than God. Who are we to devalue anybody? What is humanity? We are nothing compared to God. We are incredibly privileged. But third, another practical implication from this is that we should not confuse privilege with right. I know someone who works in a shop that sells stuff that kids absolutely love. And this person's very generous. And often kids that he knows, he lets them choose something for free when they visit the shop. But it's amazing how quickly a privilege like that turns into a right for kids. And they expect it and even demand it. And it's very ugly to see. So many problems come from this, at least they do in my family anyway. The privilege of playing the computer becomes the right. The privilege of pocket money becomes my right. And it's not just kids who do this. We see it played out across the world and across our own lives all the time. We feel we have the right to a job that fulfills us. We feel we have the right to good health and the right to happiness. It's so easy to confuse privilege and turn it into right. In one sense, it's, it's just a subtle shift, but in another, it's so ugly to see. God, who makes those who are nothing a little less than himself, when we make ourselves a little more than him, it's no wonder he finds it so offensive. We take the privilege of being crowned and we twist it into our right to rule God's world however we want to. We do that when we consider what we want to be a little bit more important than what he wants. When we consider our understanding of the world to be a little bit more informed than his. We do it when instead of asking, what's mankind that God should care about us? We ask, what's God that I should care about him? We've been crowned by God with honour, but we've dishonoured him. We've cast that crown aside and gone after his own. Humanity might be able to do amazing things like walk on the moon and master so much of creation. And yet there's so much that, that we can't even get close to mastering. We can't master death. We can't master conflict. We can't master being truly good and truly faithful. For all our, our brilliance, we face nuclear war. We elect disasters. We can't eradicate poverty. We can guide a, a probe to Saturn billions of kilometres away, and yet we can have no idea of how to relate to the kids in our family in front of us, or to our wife or to our husband, right before our eyes. We should never confuse privilege with right, but it's too late because that's exactly what we humans do. What is humanity? We're nothing compared to God. We're incredibly privileged because of God and yet we are in defiance of God because we have confused privilege with right. And this is where we see Jesus step in. In the, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, this psalm's quoted what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. But then the writer of Hebrews goes on 
In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. We don't see everything under the control of humans because we've rejected the privilege of ruling and insisted on the right. Then he goes on, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus lowers himself to deal with the mess of our refusing to rule this world under God's rule. When you step back from that and look at it, that is more mind-blowing than any star-filled sky. The heavens can't contain the glory of God, and yet God was pleased to come to us in Jesus as a human. The God who created the glory of the universe comes as that tiny, helpless baby. The God whose hands cast stars into space offers his own hands to be nailed to a cross. He's crowned with thorns to save us from death. And having done this, he now rules this world the way that humanity should have. And when he returns, we'll rule creation under him like we should have. The stars make us wonder, what is humanity that God cares for us? But seeing God the Son on the cross takes that wonder to a whole new level. We're crowned by God with honour too deep to ever fully contemplate. It's like a, a really old hymn says, Who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? This is where asking the deeper questions has brought us who are Christians. We know we're not an accident. We know life's not meaningless. We know that we don't have to determine our own significance and fight for our own significance. We know that we are nothing on our own, but because of Jesus, we know that we are privileged beyond belief. Have you asked the bigger questions? Do you have the courage to follow them all the way down? If you do, be prepared that they may well lead you to stand before an awesome God and to say with David, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of you. Your name is majestic. What you have done in creation is unbelievable. It makes our hearts sing, Lord, and stand in absolute wonder at the vastness of this universe and our tiny place in it. And Lord, when we consider that you care about us, so insignificant in the face of this vastness, Lord, we wonder in amazement. And then, Lord, when we consider that your care doesn't end even when we exchange the glory that you've given us in an attempt to secure our own, Lord, that your care extends to even Jesus descending as a baby and dying on the cross in our place. Lord, we stand in complete wonder, speechless before you. 
And Lord, we thank you that because he now rules in our place and is returning, Lord, that we can one day stand before you, completely accepted by you, and declare to you just how wonderful you are, just how majestic your name is. Lord, help us to do that even now, to ask the bigger questions and to follow them through and to stand before you in awe. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when you'll bring us to stand before you for all eternity. Amen.